Fear the Fro special presentation. I'm unhappy. Let's make changes. Time to roster. Rearrange it. Blow it up. A hypothetical trade. That's what we're here to talk about in depth today. A blow it up. Yes. Pack your house. Pack your wife. Pack your kids. Pack your dog. Pack your whole damn life. Blow it up. A boom. Coming in. Sending out. Player here. Picks there. Dream big. Penises out. Blow it up. A Fear the Fro trade exploration. What the hell was that? Portland Trailblazers. Welcome to the Fear the Fro podcast. I am Bob Schmidt, your host at Fear the Fro pod on Twitter. And uh, we have another trade discussion as the trade deadline approaches. February 9th, Cavs Faithful saw a tweet go out from Chris Fedor that said, keep your eyes, Cavs fans, keep your eyes on Josh Hart. Maybe this is worth paying attention to. Maybe there's some substance behind this. And so who better to talk about what is going on in Portland than the host and creator of the Jacked Ramsey's podcast, the premier Portland Trailblazers podcast, Danny Morang. Danny, thank you for joining me today. Hey, it's, I mean, I really appreciate you. It's, it's always fun to, uh, to hop on and, and do the other side stuff, uh, especially when it's a, it's a, it's a team that I actually follow. Uh, Cavs and Cavs and Grizzlies are the two non-Blazers teams that I've, I definitely spend the most time watching. So it's always fun to go uh, talk about either one of those teams. Is that just fandom purposes, or is there a reason why those two get more attention than others? Stylistically, um, number one, uh, I, I'm a I'm a huge believer in in basically t- Cleveland's backcourt. Uh, I'm a huge Garland and, and Mitchell guy before Mitchell even got there <laughs> and Mobley uh, for me, I, I just love watching him play. And it's the same thing for, for Memphis. It's Jaron Jackson jr. Is one of my favorite players in the league to watch. It's just something about the, the, the new style of young bigs that are in the league. That's uh, you know, it's just so interesting that the stuff that they can do and the stuff that they're asked to do. And those two guys uh, held and Jared Allen in there too. They do it on such an incredible level. It's just a, a ton of fun to watch. As far as the Jack Ramsey's go, how long have you guys been doing that podcast for? Uh, we've been doing that year and a half now. Yeah, year and a half. Uh, I I took this great idea um, when I, you know I, I ran the Blazers Edge podcast for uh, I want to say close to a decade over at SB Nation, and uh, I did the post game show for NBC. Uh, NBC out in Portland folded up, and I was like, you know, what? I want to go do something that's that's my own, started from scratch, and I picked last year to do it. And the Blazers obviously had um, one of the worst years they've had in the last twenty years. Uh, as they kind of forced the tank down the stretch, lost 21 of 23. Um, but it's been, it's been a ton of fun. I mean, if you can kind of make it through that, you can make it through anything uh, I, in reality. I was going to say, you know, because one of the things that I'm finding is I've really picked up the pace this year in terms of doing them pretty much every post game. I mean, I, I slow rolled mm-hmm. into this thing a couple of years ago and it's sort of a passion project, but as I've been doing them with more frequency it really makes you appreciate the guys who do this for Mm -hmm. teams that are on the other end of good fortunes where they're trying to figure things out or where they're in a rebuild mode because it is rough sometimes coming out of a a game just completely raw and then having blowing a 25 point lead to the los angeles lakers on a monday night this week that happened. The Blazers, the only team this this year that has blown a lead that big. Good God! And it's to it's to a franchise that everybody here hates. Oh, um, everybody here, you know, too. everybody was was <laughs> was yeah, it's true. They would just say everybody. Um, and, and I mean, the Blazers were stunting on them. I mean, Dame was pulling up at thirty eight feet. 
to melt down like that and then be like, hey, let's go do a show. And you're just like, it's 1130 at night, man. Ain't nobody want that right now. <laughs> <laughs> Last year, it's funny how perspective shifts because while things have been good this year, it's almost night and day different at times with how it feels because this point of the season last year, the Cavs were roughly the same record around 30 and 20. And now we're here again. But the burden of expectations completely changes things for a lot of the fan base where, you know, Mm -hmm. you bring in a star like Mitchell and you pay the kind of price you do. There's a lot of, well, this isn't happening fast enough for my liking. And so as we approach this trade deadline, the Cavs names that that get out there all the time. One of the things I always think when I see this, and I know you feel the same way from listening to your podcast from uh, Friday, I believe was when you released it. And I, I great podcast. It went through a lot of the different things that I think about when we discuss trades, which is it's not just what we want. There's a lot of things Mm -hmm. that the Cavs want, but what is the position that the Blazers would be in if a situation for Josh Hart was visited? And, And that kind of brought me to the first thing are the Blazers a buyer or a seller? What position do they find themselves in? Yeah, it's both, to be honest. They're they're selling on some things that didn't work out, but they're buying on things that they, they kind of hope to have changed for them. The front office and, and Joe Cronin, they were bluntly honest coming into the season. They stated multiple times, you know, they want to just get to the playoffs and see what they have. This was very much an evaluation year. Uh, Joe came on my show. Well, I would say a month into the season. And, you know, we asked him, you know, what the goal was for making those evaluations or uh, how, what the timeline looked like and said, you know, hey, we basically want to get two months. Uh, we know that we're kind of running two timelines with 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 Damon and the young guys. Uh, we also recognize that that can be reckless, but we need to take this season to evaluate where we are. Because the thing about that last season, losing 21 of 23, Damian Lillard wasn't on the floor. The only player that Portland started the season who had any real time on the floor with Damian Lillard was Yusuf Nurkic. And everyone's like, well, Anthony Simons has been with the team for years. And it's like, well, yeah, but number one, he was in development for basically two and a half, three years. And then last year when he got his opportunity, Dame was shut down. A lot of this year was just eval, eval, eval. And now I think they're at the point where they kind of know what they want and which way they want to go. And I think that they will... They will look to sell on guys, and in particular, in Josh Hart and Yusuf Nurkic. But I think the guys that they're trying to buy are going to be different versions of what those guys are. Yeah, I heard you alluding to on the podcast, one of the priorities for Portland was a big who was maybe a little bit more reliable defensively, or at least... Mobility more than anything. Okay. Okay, yeah, because, I mean, you discuss names that we've seen out there on the trade deadline as far as... Mm -hmm. You know, your Plumleys, your your Nerlens, your maybe a Daniel Gafford, things of that yeah, nature. Uh, Isaiah Hartenstein, Mo Bamba, you, length and athleticism. They can only play tr- one true style of defense with Yusuf Nurkic on the floor, and that's drop coverage. He just can't. He's seven foot, 300 plus pounds. You can't really put him in any aggressive schemes. You don't want him switching on the perimeter. He's a solid drop cover guy. And the, he's he, he, had, he had a massive injury in 2019. And coming back from that, he just hasn't been quite the same player. His defensive prowess has less to do with his ability to contest shots or to move around and more to do with the fact that he's a a moving phone booth. He's just an enormous human. I mean, when you classify the the bigs of the league, it's it's him and Joel Embiid. When you're talking about guys that are just absolutely massive that you just can't do anything with, 
And that does present its its own unique challenges for opponents because he just takes up so much space, both horizontally and vertically. But what Chauncey Billups and what Joe Cronin have have the vision that they have for this team is something significantly more switchable, more aggressive, more active, more multiple in how they do things. And Nurk just isn't that. So I'm very strong in the belief that they will not get out of this deadline with with him on this team. I see those names, those two names, Nurkic and Hart which seem to be coming up again and again in rumors. Is the perception of Nurkic that he's a, a distressed asset? Or is it he's in these trade talks because Portland feels like that they could get a fair return from him and get off of that you know, four years that he has left at 15 mm-hmm. mil plus, 15 to 20 mil? It depends on who who you talk to. I would say that the return for him would probably be as a straight across deal would be less than expected, but it only takes one team for it. Like it, uh, throw it up uh, the wizards. Like, do they want somebody who can eat up minutes and coverage alongside KP kind of like what they did in New York, you know, or do you, or do you want Porzingis playing more minutes at the center? Like that's a discussion that you have to have. Is there a team like Toronto who knows the, the, the warts that, that Nurkic has, but they have to go through Joel Embiid. So perhaps do they prioritize more on par with what it means for them as opposed to across the league? And I think that's Nurk's deal. If he is traded, it's going to be to one of three or four teams that have signaled pretty clearly that they want a big that can eat minutes and be a guy that they can throw on a Jokic or an Embiid um, and physically not be outclassed. I thought Nurkic was interesting in the sense that his contract might be on the larger side for centers, but it's not mm. It's not crippling. Of course, there's the teams that you would think of who might need centers. And even Toronto, they're looking at a walk-year Gary Trent Jr. The salaries basically line up. But mm-hmm. is Hart being used as an enticement to essentially you know, take on Nurkic in some, some bigger situations? Because one thing you alluded to, which I definitely don't think a lot of Cavs fans are fixated on is your position in regards to the the luxury tax. And I thought that was something that that warranted explaining. Portland is um, a radio person's salary away from the luxury tax. <laughs> There's $67,000 away from the luxury tax. And um, they're, they're, unless it's Pascal Siakam and a massive deal, they're not going into the tax. For them to go into the tax, they would forfeit roughly $18 million. And I, I am never one for the um, yay billionaires made more money class, but like you just kind of have to acknowledge the fact of reality. If there is an opportunity for ownership across the NBA to make money, I mean, there's no reason for the Blazers to go into tax right now. They're, they're, they're not a team that's looking to make noise, so to speak. Now, next season, when they have Damian Lillard and Anthony Simons and Jeremy Grant and whoever they make moves for, the money that is committed is going to put them in the tax, but they're not just not going to start that clock early. Not, not for just a run of the mill rotation guy. There's just no, no way that they are going to do that. So they're $6.7 million from the hard cap and they are hard cap because they went over the taxpayer mid level for Gary Payton. That's the other part of this. So even if uh, something else did happen, uh, they only have 6.7 million more room from where they're at right now. Uh, which if you combine Hart and Nurk salary plus the hard cap, they've got about 36, 37 and a half million dollars. 
Okay. Uh, and they, and they, space, correct me if I'm wrong. They have some trade exceptions still from previous deals like the yep, Covington deal. Six and a half million dollar trade exception from the or 6.4 from from the Covington deal. And there's another one in there that's super small. I want to say it's like 2.8 million. Okay. One of the first things that jumps to mind when I see Hart and trade rumors is knowing that he has this unique contract that he signed because mm-hmm. the Cavaliers were in on him back when he re-upped with the Pelicans to some extent. The hope was that perhaps he would be a candidate for their mid-level exception, but he signed that unique deal with the Pelicans, which puts him into this situation where there's a player option next year, but most people assume he's going to he's going to test unrestricted free agency. Mm -hmm. If that's the case, are they just trying to recoup something for him? Are they worried that he would walk away? Or do do the Blazers not have interest in retaining him just independent of that? I think it's one of those situations where contractually, uh, Simon's just signed his new deal. Dame got his extension. Jeremy Grant is going to get his money. They just paid Nurk, um, and they'll figure that situation out. But I think they're just, they're trying to keep the books active. And if they can get a deal that's probably a relatively close to what Josh Hart's deal is at, contractually, they, they, just, they just don't have a ton of deals in the... And I think that's part of the reason why Nurkic was signed to the deal that he was, was so they had a contract around 15 to $20 million Because gotcha. Simons is, is average annual value is the next one up, and he's at 25 They're trying to find guys that are in that deal range because those are the pieces that you need regularly to make trades. I know Chauncey Billups loves Josh Hart. <laughs> so it's, I don't think it's necessarily a, a want to move on, but also part of this is, is that the Blazers have, have been injured this year. And the big part that changed kind of, I think the idea of Josh Hart, at least here was this year. Little was supposed to be the starting small forward to start the season. He had the same core surgery that Damian Lillard and Gary Payton the second had. And it really wasn't until a couple weeks ago that Nas was really back to his full explosive self. Um, he was out uh, for six weeks for a fracture in his hip. That downtime may have given him the necessary rest that he needed to kind of get through that. And I've talked to Dame about that surgery a million times. They said it's, it's, it's incredibly difficult to get through because Long story short, you basically end up having to rip it and heal it and rip it and heal it to get it to be functional again, which sounds awful. Yeah. Um, Josh is not, he's been put not necessarily in square peg round hole, but I don't know. Pentagon in round hole. I mean, it's, 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 <laughs> he's been asked to start and be the starting small forward when in reality he was supposed to be the guy off the bench as a secondary creator. If they load up for Simons on one side, swing, swing, get it to Josh, get into a quick pick and roll, and then let him go from there because he started to show some real pick and roll talent uh, in his exit interviews. He was really excited about the idea of you know getting into more playmaking roles and taking on some more of that responsibility. But with with injuries to Nasir Little and then to Justice Winslow, Josh ended up being kind of the de facto small forward. I think they want Josh Hart to be Josh Hart, and they would love to have him be that bench guy. But going into this offseason, do they want to commit, which which is probably, I would imagine, about $18 million? I mean, if he's opting out of 13. I just, I don't, I don't think that's like really crazy at all. And I think that's going to be slightly above. And like, if I said, do you think Josh Hart's getting MLE money? Almost everybody I've talked to has 100%. been. 100%. No, he's, he, yeah, he's he, getting, could, he's he could get over that. that. Yeah. Yeah. And, at that, least and that. that's, and you, you don't, you just wave your hand at it. So I think getting to 18 is relatively easy. So. Do you want to, like, is that where you want to invest your money right now? Or would you rather try to see what's on the market, 
to balance out your roster. And the thing that they keep talking about is they want to get bigger, longer, stronger, more athletic. Those are the things that, that they that they want to prioritize because they got physically manhandled by the Toronto Raptors last night. Uh, and they don't want that to continue happening. You mentioned two things there that I wanted to touch on. One was when speaking about injuries, uh, some people are unaware that Hart has the hamstring issue going on right mm-hmm. now, which I don't think it impacts any tradeability, assuming he comes back. But it it's it's definitely not a sure thing. From what I understand, uh, it is not like a grade two or grade three hamstring issue. I think that if there wasn't the specter of the possibility of him being tr- traded, I think you would see him being like if if there were, if he was a hundred percent going to be on this team going forward. I think there's an opportunity that he would play in a couple of days, realistically. Um, but because of the, that, that he might be on the block or might be moved, I think they are going to sit him between now and the deadline. The good news is that with the way things are right now and them moving um, the deadline away from the All-Star break, when you look at it, he'll probably end up with close to three weeks off. So barring any setbacks or anything along those lines, he sh- I would imagine he's good to go down the stretch. Okay. That brings us to the Cavs part of this in talking to you and hearing kind of what your desires would be, which would be, you know, length switchable defense, maybe a front court player. The Cavs don't have much of anything to offer in that way. So then you think, well, what about draft assets? And we're tapped after the Utah deal in that regard. (laughs) So I'm not sure there's even a whole hell of a lot on the Cavs roster. What is it that they would even be seeking from the Cavs? You know, they've got Levert, they've got Osman, They've got maybe a Coro, although I don't mm-hmm. know if all the time they've committed to his development, if they're looking to move him. And then they've got their movable money, Dylan Windler, you know, Robin mm-hmm. Lopez, stuff like that. I'm Dylan, not sure. I, that I any, would have been a trailblazer Windler. God, to think he like was going, he was going to be a trailblazer until Nasir Little fell. Speaking of injuries <laughs> that never go away, Dylan Windler just can't catch a break in that regard. Yeah. An ankle sprain yeah. has turned into a full season of absence from him uh, this year. <laughs> so. But I mean, four and a half million, that's a, that's one of the few things the Cavs can use to level deals. It's just that Levert, to me, that's essentially a wash because he's an impending free agent. Mm-hmm. So, and he's likely going to cost roughly in the same range as Josh Hartwood. For Portland to have interest in a situation like that, there'd need to be some draft incentive. And outside of a Cavs second or a Golden State Warriors second round pick, there's not much in the war chest. And that's to say nothing about whether Hart is even a better fit than a Levert or an Osman. And to Levert specifically, even though it's been a pretty good January by all accounts, recency bias might make him seem a little bit more expendable. On Friday against Oklahoma City, he was 1 for 12. That was not one of his bright points of the season. But, you know, there are times where he comes in and he's a pretty good secondary creator. It's just offensively, he's not nearly as efficient as a Josh Hart. Yeah, Yeah. But then you have... Your Osman situation, who, while he can mm-hmm. be good in transition and a score, his contract next year is locked in at less than $7 million a season. So maybe that's a little bit more attractive. That's a movable deal, and it could be one of those pieces that you allude to, a contract that could balance deals. I think Portland has looked around a couple of guys there that you mentioned. The logic there always makes sense. You know, if you ask me what I want from Cleveland, it's Evan Mobley. What I'm going to get <laughs> is not that. Um I think he fixes a lot of problems for a lot of teams around the league. But um, for a guy like Hart, and this is where I think it doesn't necessarily make sense for the Cavs, because I look at the Cavs and there's the guy that makes the most sense for the Cavs to add to that team is like a Dorian Finney-Smith. 
that's the guy that I see being making the most sense on on this market that could be available. I would love a, I, a arrangement like that if it could be something that was brokered. But yeah, I mean, a Finney Smith, a Harrison Barnes, a guy that just kind of fits in, doesn't necessarily need the ball all the time. You know, I know they want a guy that comes off the bench and to help and an additional ball handler, but having size and a guy who's just a pro at the three spot, that's what elevates that team so much. And I don't necessarily think hard is that the framework that I have heard, uh, Bat it back and forth is is a Coro and Osmond for Hart, um, and I don't think that makes sense for Cleveland. That would be a tough pill to swallow because, in theory, a Coro is giving you at a younger age what you would want from Hart, ideally anyway, which is you mm-hmm. know good defender. Obviously, Hart is a better ball handler, better in the pick and roll, things of that nature. But to go two for one on that one, one of the biggest issues for the Cavs this season has been bench depth and you're going to give up two guys who you have contractual control over next year at cheap costs for one guy who may or may not be an improvement that would be that'd be something that it's a risk they'd really have to believe i don't think yeah and that's the thing is i don't think that makes sense for them now for for portland side of things like mike schmitz who's the assistant gm in portland called a coral one of his if not his favorite player in that draft do you wonder how portland's front office feels about Okoro, I can tell you exactly because it's out there in the world from when he was on ESPN. Well, so. and it's it's funny too with the timing of things. You just, because, you know, especially with role players, they go through peaks and valleys throughout the course of the mm-hmm. season. And you hit this month of January and outside of that Oklahoma City performance by Levert, by all accounts, Levert and Okoro, they've had good months. Osmond is one of those anomalies where it's, it, Loki seems like J.B. Bickerstaff hates him at times because four or five games this month, he's logged less than eight minutes in a game. And then Okoro, a lot of the criticism is, well, forget about the percentages. He has to be willing to take those threes. And you hear the same type of stuff about Josh Hart this season. Uh, well, he, he avoids taking some of those threes regardless of the clip he shoots them at. So it seems a little bit like a lateral move. You're getting a guy further along in his development at a slightly yes. more advanced age on a team that's built upon this foundation of a young, young core. This was kind of what, and this is why I thought it was a mistake, was what Portland did with Gary Trent Jr. and Norman Powell when they made that deal. You were getting like the more advanced, more ready version um, of Gary Trent Jr. Now, obviously, they're that Gary and Norm aren't the same players, but you look back at it like, how did that work out? As much as I love Hart, I I have to hope that if he finds his way to Cleveland, it's in some three way construction yeah, that I just don't understand. Because me personally, I have my issues with Levert, but I also think if you're giving up any decent asset that carries into next year on a team that's so shallow on the bench right now that it doesn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense. As it relates to Jeremy Grant, this is another thing that kind of came up since we spoke. I spoke to you yesterday about coming on and talking about stuff. And with the news of Miles Turner signing Mm -hmm. that extension, I saw you tweet something about, well, this is why Jeremy Grant hesitated to sign four for $112 Where do you feel the realistic landing point for Jeremy Grant in an extension would be? Because I know if he waits till the summer, he can sign for more money. What do you anticipate the cost being? If he waits until this summer, he can get five two hundred uh, as a max, which is significantly more than the obviously the four one twelve. Do you um, think it goes to that limit? Do you think- I don't think it goes to that spot. I think what he gets, and the reason I, I said what I said about Miles is 
there's money to be had. Like the Pacers just gave him $18 million in cap space this year. That's, that's the genius of what they did. Um, his overall salary didn't go up in the next two years. In fact, it's really, really good. Uh, I think $18, $19 million a year for Miles Turner, who, when you look at defensively, has been probably the second most impactful defensive big this year behind Jaron. <clears throat> Fro. Yeah, I by mean, he, that's the, by a, all the metrics. That's incredible. Even in the prism of, okay, two seasons ago, the Cavs get into extension talks with Allen. He ends up getting $20 million a year. Salaries have only gone up since then. If nothing else, I think it makes him an easily movable piece in future constructions. It, it resets the clock for the Pacers as far as they were up against the trade deadline this year. Now they just kick that can down the road. Uh, like when Boyan did his uh, extension. He's not mm-hmm. getting a substantial raise. Now, I don't know of this year because you rarely see a, a deal like this where the extension pads a bunch of money onto the current year. My mm-hmm. understanding with past extensions was if you're not getting at least a 5% raise, you're basically immediately tradable. You don't have to wait that whole year like LeBron's extension. Boyan has been shoppable essentially from the moment he extended. Do those same it's, type it's, it's of... Same with Miles because it's not... It's not technically an extension. It's a renegotiation. Yeah, huge that's win. another huge win for them is that now they have, you know, another asset. If if they get to the end of this year and they're still not sure which way they want to go with him, he's a very viable and tradable asset come this summer. I don't think they gave him that money with as well as he is playing and as good as things have been in Indiana to trade him right now. No, I don't think so either. I, I, But I do think it's just an ancillary benefit of the whole situation is that I don't know how you felt about it. My Lakers hate just bubbles through when I see this. But that slow play of trying to squeeze Heald and Turner out for basically you know, pennies on the dollar, having that all blow up with this extension being signed, or at least it feels that way, um, really, really delighted me. Because in the aftermath of the Rui Hachimura trade, I kept seeing suggestions from you know, my Laker fan co-workers about, well, now they, you know, Indiana will have to just take a first for both of them because, uh, you, you know, the, the leverage has swung our favor. We made other deals without them. I'm like, I don't think you, I don't think it's going to work out the way you think it's going to work out. Buddy Heald is a guy who I would absolutely love for a lot of teams looking to pick up assets. But to me, it never made mm-hmm. sense to bundle those two together when seemingly you could separate them and they're both worthy of a pretty decent asset coming back in return. Oh, for sure. And, and as it pertains to, you know, looking at, at Jeremy Grant, you can kind of see how the, the table ends up getting set kind of going forward, uh, which is funny because Grant was had for a Milwaukee 2025 protected first round pick, which I mean, you can just look at that and <laughs> understand the reason that deal was done was because Jeremy went to Detroit. He played good soldier, developed a good relationship with Troy Weaver, and he told Troy, I, I'm going to Portland one way or another. Are you going to help me? How about you just take the first round pick and call it a win? And that, that's ultimately how it, you know, all, all of these these deals like that where these guys, uh, you know, play with each other at, at, you know, the Olympics and build these relationships. I mean, that's how they end up working. Remember, teams teams can tamper. Players can't. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, um what do you think he'll land at? I think 32 is probably your average annual value. Okay. That I seems reasonable. To me. Where it gets, so instead of 4 112, let's go 4 125. 
Okay. If Brunson got what he got in unrestricted free agency, or mm-hmm. a year later, where you're closer to a new TV deal, like I wouldn't blink an eye at that. That would no. Like you said, there. I mean, there's pieces in place. If they get some continuity and chances to play together, it certainly would be interesting to see what they're able to do. In watching that Cavs game against Portland, I think it, it flew under the radar to some extent, but Gary Payton was a menace uh, on the yes. defensive end. And to see him out there, it makes me feel like, well, you know what? You're replacing a lot of what you had hoped Hart would provide, but on a cheaper mm-hmm. deal, ranging farther into the future. A couple moves like that, Drew Eubanks, those type of acquisitions, a big fan of from the outside. Yeah, GP has been a huge, huge addition for them. And him, them getting him back only a couple weeks ago is they're, they're still trying to find how to deploy him. And with Nas's injury at the time and uh, Justice Winslow's injury at the time, where do we get him out there? He's on a mid restriction. Who do we play him with? How do we figure this out? They still have not had their top eight rotation for a single game this year because Gary was out until what? January 6th. Nas has been in and out of the lineup. Justice has been in and out of the lineup getting those bench guys in there. They just haven't been able to figure out the thing that I, I think that that is most clear with this team right now is that they're going to commit money to Dame or they did commit money to Dame. They committed money to Ant, and they're going to commit money to Jeremy. And then you throw Shaden Sharp in there on his rookie deal. That's the core of this team right now. Uh, I think they they really like Nasir Little. He signed a $7 million deal, which, I mean, bless him. Uh, from a team perspective, it was incredible. Uh, I think he can outplay that immediately. Beyond that, I just, they're open to pretty much anything. I, I would fully, 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 fully expect Jeremy Grant to be re-signed in the offseason or extended or, uh, no, it'd be re-signed because it'd be unrestricted. I think a lot of yeah. times people will be like, "Oh, I'd love Jeremy Grant on my team." I'm like, "He didn't go to Portland for nothing." I mean, there was no, a, there was it, a, it, there's a wink and a long nod. relationship there. Yeah, yeah. And he wants to play with Dame. And something people also don't know and understand is um, number one, Jeremy was born here. His his dad played here. Uh, Parvi Grant. One of the other things is that that has mattered for Chauncey <clears throat> is that he or for for Jeremy is that he wanted to play for Chauncey. Like he 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 said that he would like to play for for an African American coach. There's so many things in there that led him to Portland. It's not just, oh, who has the most money? He did the most money thing. He went and did that in Detroit. He doesn't want to go do that again. I would very much, I think it's as sure a thing as there is in the NBA without there being pen on paper of Jeremy Grant being a trailblazer this, after the summer. Now, uh, speaking of this summer, you have a unique draft situation happening because of this trade <laughs> with you know Larry Nance Jr., Lowry Markinen, the three-way that involved the Cleveland Cavaliers where uh, your pick is top 14 protected. With the situation you're in now in the standings, if they're, if they're on the fringe kind of looking outside that play-in, do you think it's more beneficial for them long-term if they fall out? And, and protect that first round pick or does, is that insignificant enough to you that, you know, playoffs in any capacity, I would prefer that. They, they have to convey the pick one way or the other eventually. Cause if it doesn't it, convey this year, it, it'll convey next year. Okay. It's just, it, it, it keeps it going. It basically goes in like perpet- no, it basically goes in like perpetuity until like 2029. Oh goodness. 
It's just yeah. keeps being top 14 protected year after year. Uh-huh. Is the, oh, yes. okay. Okay. Well, wow. I guess it's when do you take your medicine at that point? <laughs> and, and that's the thing. It's like you've got, and, and they, they can't trade a pick until they get, until they convey it. They could release the protections if they made some sort of yes. other deal. They, that would be what would they, essentially they, happen. They could, they could if, if they wanted to, regardless at the, at the trade deadline buzzer and they were going to make a deal and they wanted to include draft capital, they could call Chicago and say, Hey, we're going to move the draft, the draft Texans, give us a, Top fifty-five protected second-round pick. Gotcha. Okay. And and that's, but I don't know if you want to do that in this season because of exactly what you said. What if things go sideways? Right. And it's supposedly there, a fairly deep draft. So uh, yeah, I've, I've talked to, to draft experts who have this as a top ten. Like obviously you've got the two guys at the top and Wemby and Scoot, but beyond that, there's a lot of wings in this draft. This is kind of the wing draft. Last year you had the, the bigs draft. This is the wings draft. You've got a lot of six, seven to six, nine guys. If you're taking a step back, certainly Portland would love, but they don't need more 19 year olds. They need more guys who can play right now. Right. So it's and, that and weird as, balance. You guys are in between Dan's yes. Dan's maturity and uh, Simon's ascendance and, mm-hmm. you know, do and sharp. Well, right. And, and, I mean, and at some point if, if the, the clock is ticking, and if there is any type of pressure that comes from Dame, although, I mean, he's been a just a professional uh, throughout yeah. the entirety of his career. But at some point, if you want to maximize his window, it makes you wonder if they'll move one of those young pieces in order to get a real, you know, established player to try to speed this timeline up to some extent. Yeah, and that's the thing is, I, I think in general, when they're looking at this, they're going to make a decision between now and next trade deadline on one of Simons or Sharp. If they're going to move along with Dave, it's just that simple. Those are your biggest assets, your biggest trade chips to make impactful change. Portland's timelines are sped up because of the, the previous regime and how they handled things and what Joe Cronin and his staff have had to do to kind of untangle things. And what the biggest difference for me between Neil O'Shea and Joe Cronin beyond team building is Cronin's willingness to take a risk. I think they're willing to take a risk where to the point of hopefully it doesn't work out this way, but like a Donovan Mitchell or a Rudy Gobert empty the, the, the closet, so to speak of assets to put real help around Damian Lillard. But I don't think they're willing to do that until at least this summer. Uh, and I think summer is generally a, a time where more options are available to you anyway. So certainly if, if I was in a situation where I'm making some heavy franchise altering trade discussions or considerations i would want to wait till i have the all avenues to explore i don't think many people thought there was much substance in the mitchell things until it actually was announced it's not without risk certainly i think everybody loves donovan mitchell he's played amazing but all that being said when you look at all these trade discussions that come up i can't help but sit back and think what do we have to offer them? We emptied the war chest. Like we have no picks for the foreseeable future. Levert eight one, Utah eight three to five. If you consider pick swaps, and we're we're all in here playing on the edges, trying to fill in some gaps in any way mm-hmm. we can. So put your fantasy GM hat on here. If there was one thing that you could do before the trade deadline, what would your ideal be? I know that. I'm a, I'm a big Aiton believer if, if, that if he gets out of Phoenix <laughs> and away from Chris Paul, that he could be what he should be, which is probably the third or fourth best big in the league. Um, it's, it's, that's, a, that's a big ask, um, but that's, that's a path I would consider. 
with Turner, I, I don't think they have the assets necessary. Uh, and, and that's why I keep, I'm, I'm leaning towards bigs because as much as big has been devalued, it matters so much for Portland, what big they have back there. Like it's, it's infinitely more important to me, the player that they bring in at the five spot than it is in who they get with Josh Hart because of how Portland wants to play. Sending Nurk to one of probably four different teams, whether it's Toronto, Dallas, Charlotte, Washington, one of those teams, uh, and not necessarily getting a big back there, but getting something of return, and then trying to see if you can, I don't know, send Hart to New York for uh, Isaiah Hartenstein and Obi Toppin. I think that that's probably the kind of move that I would expect, or if Hart ends up going somewhere else to a, like a team like New York, take the assets you get from the Knicks and send him for uh, some combination of Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt. Like, I know that's something that's kind of been out there a little bit. Um, that would Miami, be Vanderbilt would be very interesting fit. Long, Vanderbilt, switchable. Yeah, yeah. Six, six, nine switchable guy, uh, you know, plus playmaker showing some stuff as a three point shooter. Uh, I know Miami has interest in Josh Hart. But I mean, what are you getting back there, Kayla Martin, and a super late first? I mean, Miami's never bad. So how great is that first round pick? Uh, is that something that you could take and flip for some other asset? I I don't know. It's not necessarily a reshuffling of the deck chairs as much as it it's a fundamental change um, for what Portland wants in that in that front court. Probably four or five bigs that are out there that I'm I'm taking a real look at, and then you know it's the same names that everybody kind of talks about um, because it, it it makes sense. If you said long switchable defender and I said Kevin Love, <laughs> it just it seems like like you no. said a Pentagon in a in a round hole type of situation yeah. where it, you know I would love if Hart ends up on the Cavs. I'm sure we'll be doing another little segment here, but uh, I just wanted to talk through a lot of what was going on in Portland because I think that is a discussion worth having. I could see it as as I could see Cleveland, I could see Miami, and I could see New York as three teams that would that could end up with Josh Hart. But I don't think any of those three teams will be a one-to-one deal. Not a straight line. <laughs> yeah. So if it's if, if if he does end up in Cleveland, it will be part of a three three team deal. And the thing is is that, you know, we were talking about before the show that Portland has done more deals with Cleveland than any other team over basically the last 10 years. Um Andre Patterson was, you know, up an assistant GM in, in Cleveland that he's, you know, now an assistant GM in Portland. And I mean, you run down the list of transactions that have done, been done between the two organizations. There's, there's familiarity there. And when there is that familiarity, everybody just kind of like laughs or, or plays it off. You make deals with who you know and who you like. Look at Rui Hachimura ending up with the Lakers. There's so many teams that were like, ah, oh, we, we would have given a couple of seconds to get him. And it's like, well, Washington, there's a pipeline right now that happens between yes. certain teams. I mean, we have that with Utah. It's seemingly we've done a lot of business with them. We've done a lot of business with you guys, even the Rockets to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. So it really does. It goes overlooked oftentimes how how much managing relationships amongst GMs can really benefit you and in, in benefiting from these kind of three way. I mean, Jared Allen ended up landing in our laps in a very similar manner. And who knows? Maybe that doesn't happen if not for the Brandon Knight, Alec Burks, Houston Rockets involvement <laughs> from previous seasons. So. Look, if a Jared Allen falls in Portland's lap, I will I will be doing laps around the block very slowly. Well, and I, I must say, I was very pleased to hear the praise that you threw his way 
on your last podcast on the Jack Ramsey. I'll play it for my audience. I clipped that uh, just as an incentive to check out the Jack Ramsey's podcast when you want to hear Portland Trailblazers Listen, talk because there is no more positive fro person than me. Uh, and, and speaking of that, okay, so I named the podcast Fear the Fro, which some might say mm-hmm. is extremely short-sighted linking a podcast about a team to an individual player with the volatility of the NBA, <laughs> as it were. But how did you guys land on the name Jack Ramsey's? I mean, obviously, so, <laughs> I know who Jack Ramsey is, but how did you decide upon yeah. that? So uh, Ian Carmel is the lead writer for the James Corden show. Uh, he's a friend of mine. He is from uh, Beaverton, Oregon, where I'm from. Uh, we've worked together here um, covering the Trailblazers. Uh, he's been a, he's a, been a, a comedian forever. Um, and I was crowdsourcing names. I was like, hey, if you know if I, if I was going to do a show, you know, what are some names? and um, God, I, I got probably like a hundred like decent submissions. And then I just kind of, uh, did a, uh, this or that poll and it came down to, to Jack oh, like Ramsey's. a little, uh, NCAA tournament style. Uh. Yep. Just bracketed <laughs> it up and, and, and let it go. And, um, we voted on him. That's why we went that way. And then when we, when we went that way, um, I reached out to Chris Ramsey, Jack Ramsey's son and said, Hey, um, I'm going to do a show and I'd like to call it this. Um, do you have any issues with this? And the Ramsey family actually gave me their blessing. See, that's so. that's intelligence right there. See, that's a pro because I decided to go with Fear the Fro and I'm waiting on a cease and desist from Ben Wallace. Not to mention <laughs> the the absolute confusion. The first guest I had on the podcast was a, a Pistons uh, podcaster named Bryce Simon. And when he kind of cross-promoted our little uh, collaboration, half of the fandom was like, what the fuck, dude? Like fear the fro, that's ours. Like this has nothing to do with the Cavs. It's a terrible name. So I figure I'm going to ride this till the wheels fall off. But at some point, if this gains any type of notoriety, I'm pretty sure that that's probably trademarked. Uh, So then I'll just got it somewhere. Yeah, exactly. So at that point, (laughs) then I I like the idea that you just posed here though. Whereas if that happens, I'll let I'll let the people name the podcast and just go from there. It Uh, it works out pretty well. You know what's funny is um. The uh, the fro line uh, Iron Eagle when when Jarrett was with the uh, the Nets I'll never forget this because I mean Ian's just a pros pro <laughs> um, it was a, a lob pass right on time and in not even on the replay in 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 on live play you could see the lob coming and uh, he said uh, as as the fro flies <laughs> and That's I good, and yeah. I was like. God, he's good. He is good. Uh, and then the lob dunk brought them to, it was the score was like 67, 68. It brought him to 69. And so I literally went to, as the fro flies, nice. As the score <laughs> went to 69. It was absolutely incredible. You you can't do better than that. Yes, it's, a, it's an incredible nickname. <laughs> it's an incredible uh, origin story and how he arrived there. And certainly a, a lot to celebrate in that regard. So I'm I'm hoping as we approach the ninth year, I'll be sure to uh, to be pestering you in regards to what you're hearing because uh, trade deadline is one of my favorite times. To be perfectly, oh, honest. are you kidding me? I love this. I, I'm a I'm a basketball purist, and that I want to be around the basketball, but I do love the team building aspect stuff of this. These choices you make to see how how long the ripples last for. Uh, on some of these moves. And that's the thing that's wild to think about Mitchell is you got Lowry Markinen playing out of his mind this year. There's still so much to transpire from here. Just like the Shea Gilgis deal with the Clippers. We spoke about that on Friday, how 
those draft picks are still going on for several more years. We're not going to get the full <laughs> picture of what the fallout and the the viewing through the benefit of hindsight is for for these deals for a long time to come. So and look, I I, I talked to folks as the Blazers just played the Jazz uh, the other night. Um, I talked to a bunch of people from the Jazz, and they said, "Yeah, no, you know, I mean, the hope is, you know, worst case scenario is that Donovan leaves Cleveland, and those picks are really valuable." <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you got a vested interest to root for failure. They, I totally understand. They, they that. do. Yeah. They, they're looking at Minnesota, and they said uh, it's to a person. Those Minnesota picks are gold. They're not going anywhere. Oh. So, <laughs> and talk about it. They, they, uh, they very much value the, those picks going forward, even more than the Cleveland ones. I would as well. I mean, that's that was a while when that happened. That it's taken me the better part of this season to reconcile the idea of how many picks have to go back for players now in some of these trade discussions. It's forcing people who want to acquire to essentially make these all-in moves, franchise changing three to five year completely different look of your squad moves that it, it has to give you pause when you're becoming a buyer on that end of things to really think like, okay, are we this close? Was Donovan Mitchell enough to like push him over the top? And a lot of things can happen on the margins. You get the mid-level exceptions and things to try to fill in the gaps, but mm-hmm. uh, it's exciting to say the least. I don't mind having a GM who takes big swings. If nothing else, you're, you're there and listening to Knicks fans right now. I, as as well as Brunson is playing and all that stuff. The idea of holding on to assets for the move after the move has never made sense to me because the move, the first move almost never comes and the opportunity for it. So passing up on, on Mitchell, I don't care about the fit with Brunson. You, you just figure it out. Yeah. You, you just, you just do. And so I can't uh, imagine kudos, for, to, kudos, kudos to Cleveland for, for pulling the trigger. They're quite literally for me, a team where if they get the next move, right. They're a title contender, and that's worth it. That's always worth it. Hundred percent, I'm with you on that. And and I can't thank you enough for for taking time today on a uh, gigantic football day as well to carve out time to talk Cavs with me. <laughs> hey, listen, I I, I will talk uh, Blazers, Cavs, Grizzlies uh, always and and regularly as long as those guys are are playing for those teams. Well, I am exceptionally grateful once again, Danny Morang, Jack Ramsey's podcast. You should you should listen and subscribe, and you should review. You should just do him that courtesy. He took time out of his day to be here with me on the Fear of the Fro podcast. So, uh, be sure to check his out. And Danny, thank you very much. I hope we get to talk again soon. And I wish your team and you as well nothing but the best of luck moving forward. Hey, thank you uh, very much, man. I really appreciate it, and uh, thanks for having me. So there you go, Fro listeners. Now, full disclosure, I did not play Danny, the musical open. He never heard that when we recorded this conversation. So I'm hoping that when he listens to this upon playback, he's fine with slumming it and being led into a conversation with a reference to pulling our penises out. But if not, this may be a one-and-done appearance from Mr. Meringue. I hope that's not the case. Now, I said earlier in the show I was going to play you something from his podcast. This is him singing the high praises of the Fear the Fro namesake, Jared Allen. I'll leave you with this. Thank you. Thank you for listening to my podcast. Thank you for checking out his podcast. Thank you for the reviews, the subscriptions, the ratings, all the stuff that comes with making this a continually growing Cavalier and NBA podcast. Somebody in the comments has thoughts on Jared Allen. He's really fucking good, and the Blazers are never going to get him. That is my. No. That, those are my comments on Jared Allen. Cleveland has zero reason <laughs> to be shopping four players on that roster. Yeah, the, like listen, I, I respect untouchables. it. Untouchables. I, four untouchables. I respect the hell out of it. Ja is a dog. 
Um, they absolutely ripped off the Brooklyn Nets in the right place at the right time. And I hope Joe Cronin can do the same to another uh, GM at this at this deadline. I hope there's some GM somewhere who's like, you know what? Let me go ahead and include this future all-star big in there just for the hell of it. A Fear the Fro special presentation. I'm unhappy. Let's make changes. Time to roster. Rearrange it. Blow it up. A hypothetical trade. That's what we're here to talk about in depth today. A blow it up. Yes. Pack your house. Pack your wife. Pack your kids. Pack your dog. Pack your whole damn life. Blow it up. A boom. Coming in. Sending out. Player here. Picks there. Dream big. Penises out. Blow it up. A Fear the Fro trade exploration. What the hell was that? Portland Trailblazers.